Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states. Or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. The Meat Eater Podcast is brought to you by First Light. Whether you're checking trail cams, hanging deer stands, or scouting for elk, First Light has performance apparel to support every hunter in every environment. Check it out at firstlight.com. F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E.com. All right, everybody, welcome to the Whitetail Week episode. It's like Shark Week, but better. <laughs> Even more dangerous. Uh, and the, okay, see, you're going to think I'm throwing out stray superlatives here, but this is the honest truth. The best archer in the whole wide world is here. Not like, not like when you have a guy on, he got like the biggest buck, but in America. Not like that. It's like the best archer is here. Levi Morgan. I guess so. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, like, it's, not, it's not even a debatable point, right? I mean, it depends on who you ask. If you ask some of my competitors, they'd probably argue that. But but you beat them. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's just, we're just going to run with this. It's the best, I'm pounding the table, that the best archer in the world is here, who I just found out. Um, I didn't know until this morning that Levi Morgan's wife is a competitive archer and they shot, they played against each other at when they were nine. Yeah. And she wouldn't give them the time of day. No, she wouldn't. I even called one of the organizations and like tried to get her number and they wouldn't give it to me. <laughs> so then, uh, but when I, when I, I quit in high school and when I came back in 2006, she was the reigning women's pro world champion at the time. So. What? Mm hmm. So. Then we started dating after that. But. Then you finally won her heart. Finally. Uh, she's still in it? No, she was. up. We started, um, she competed until about four years ago when we had our, uh, five years ago when we had our second 
child. Got it. And then she just kind of. Things got a little tough. Yeah, she just wanted to be mom. So. Yep. You guys got four kids? Four. Yeah. All right, we're going to dig into all that. We're going to dig into what it takes to be the uh, best archer in the world. And also, the thing I'm interested in is how that translates to hitting whitetails. Okay. It's probably a big difference. There is a big, big difference. Yeah. yeah. No, I've heard yeah. you talk about it. We're going to talk about that. Also, Nick Pinazzotto. Am I saying this right? Pinazzotto. Pinazzotto. That's yeah. Italian? Italian? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Good. We're brothers. From the National Deer Association, who you guys have heard us talk about a handful of times. He's also here. He's going to talk about an upcoming film. That his organization did with um, various state wildlife agencies about whitetail deer, whitetail deer management. Hit us with a couple points about that film. Yeah, so it's uh, nothing like this has ever really been done. A lot of people take uh, whitetail deer and deer hunting for granted. And the reality is there are a lot of challenges. And when you look at the amount of money that deer generate for all species conservation, even threatened and endangered species, it's huge. Eight out of 10 people that buy a hunting license hunt deer. Mm -hmm. The next closest is turkey, like three out of 10. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when you add uh, turkey, elk, uh, you know, and other species, it's still not half a whitetail. So um, yeah, the film seeks to uh, get this in front of people, deer hunters, first of all, who have, most of them have no idea about that, but you know, suburbanites too, people that care about any wildlife need to understand that if it weren't for deer, uh, the management of those species would be in trouble. Now, you uh, you know Jim Heffelfinger. Oh, we, we uh, just spent some time with him in Calgary this week, yep. He's going to write a thing about him and uh, Dirk and Pat Dirk and the whitetail writer yep. are insistent that um, you now and then at least nod towards saying white-tailed deer. <laughs> Not whitetails. Uh, whitetails is a colloquialism. It's the, <laughs> it's the white-tailed deer. You really sound like you know what you're talking about when you run around saying, I like to hunt white-tailed deer. My wife just that's gave how me he likes it. a hard time about that exact <laughs> thing before I left. So, yes. And you got to put the hyphen in there. I do it with a pause. The white-tailed deer. Live tour. I'm, I'm pitching, I'll just pitching uh, Levi Morgan on our live tour date that we have coming up. In, uh, you're closer to Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. In Pittsburgh. And Chester, if I'm understanding right, you're in for all shows. I just, uh, just as of this morning, chatted with Katie. And you confirmed. And I confirmed. So our live tour has mainly become a Chester concert. I already, the minute Chester, when I found out that you were going to be able to open at all the shows and yeah. play music at all the live shows, I, my first call, he didn't pick up the phone, was to Hunter Spencer. Because I want him to make a Chester concert t-shirt. Like the old style yeah. that has the dates listed on the back. Wow. That's big. So you got to get, deal. we need, can you take a picture of him with his glasses on and stuff? And <laughs> with his lab glasses? <laughs> this could be the, this Dude, is going to be want, your concert t-shirt. I don't t -shirt. want that to be the poster <laughs> art, man. Is his I mean, face, badass. is this his face going to be emblazoned on the side of the tour bus? If he oh. can have, do you have your guitar? If you can hold your guitar and have those rubber glasses, those rubber goggles on, that'd be a great concert t-shirt. Standing next to this thing? <laughs> Chester. So December 6th to 17th is the live show. We're doing, this is the order of dates. Now, we take a day off here and there. I wish I had it all lined up. Denver is December 6th. Kansas City is December 7th. Um, Pearl Harbor anniversary. But th that's nothing to do with the show. Davenport, Iowa. 
Then we go on to Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh, this isn't in order. Current, why, this is the most messed up list I've ever seen in my life. Where's Detroit? I put etc. Come on, you can't announce. <laughs> it's like, how, how are you supposed to announce a tour with etc.? Fine, this is it's like. It's only eight. You quit at like one, two, okay, three, there's, yeah, there's four, a five, Kansas six. Etc. is two the cringe shows not to include. <laughs> Okay, what what are we missing there? There's the we got Pittsburgh Den- area. There's no show in Illinois. There's, there's no show in Illinois. No. We, I can name them You here. can find all of these on the meateater.com backslash I want to talk about them right now. Because We've got Denver kay. in the Mission Ballroom. I think Ballroom. that's an old list. Sorry, guys. Great. This is what I'm talking We've about. We've got hey, Chester. Yes, We've thank got you, Chester. Kansas City at the Folly Theater. December se- That's December 7th. Denver is December 6th. December 9th at the Capitol Theater in Davenport. Okay. We've got then a great job. Then Kalamazoo, December 10th. State Theater. At the Kalamazoo State Theater. We did State Theater before, and I've been there, as I've told the story many times. I've been there before, um, and I saw, I think he's passed away. This would be a good person for dead or alive. Dylan died, or is he not dead? Bob Dylan, he's he's alive. He's alive. Yeah, that'd be a great person for the game, dead or alive. I saw Bob Dylan there at the State Theater. Wow, long time ago. And then we per, a, we did a we did a live show there years ago in, in 2019. We did a live show there. It's a, I think it's a pretty interesting. It's a great theater. theater. It's yeah. kind of like, I don't know. It's all decorated up. If that's the one that I'm thinking about. If I had more time, I'd tell you a good story about something that happened at that theater with my late friend Eric Kern. Go on. Uh, December 11th, Detroit at the Royal Oak Music Theater in Michigan there. And then we've got Cleveland on December 13th. You know who's going to join us for the Cleveland show? I'm lining up like local guests. That's why I'm pitching Levi Morgan on it for the ones you haven't got to yet. Yep. You know who we got for who I was just talking to for the, to see if he'll come to the Cleveland show. I think I've got a guess, a good guess. Who? We got weights and fish. The walleye guy. Yeah. Yep. I'm gonna, I might bring him his own jersey and he can put his own jersey on. Um, Jason Fisher. I was, pitching, I was pitching him on this idea the other day. So I think hopefully we can get him at the Cleveland show. That'd be awesome. Kevin Murphy, world's greatest small game hunter. He, he, wants, he wants to throw in on Cleveland. So he'll be on stage at Cleveland. Okay. Great. Yep. Are we going to get an extra day in there to actually fish or... I have to look at the layout. But then keep That'd going. All right. Pittsburgh. That is December 14th. Um, what's Cle- what's Cleveland? What date is Cleveland? <laughs> Chester's got those cheap rubber, uh, for you people listening, Chester's got those cheap rubber safety glasses because he's going to tell us, he's going to tell us just how tender a whitetail fawn is. Everybody knows they're tender, but how tender? We're, We're going to tell you. you. Uh, that's... Cleveland is December 13th at the Agora Theater. Okay, and then what's the next date? December 14th. And that well, so is... There's no, there's no date of walleye fish. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. We'd have to get up early in the morning and fish walleyes. Oh, that's all right. Hold on a minute. We'll figure it out. December 14th, we're in uh, Munhall, Pennsylvania. That's uh, the greater Philadelphia area. No, the Greater Pittsburgh, that's Pittsburgh area. area. That's the Greater Pittsburgh mm-hmm. area. Mess that up every time. And that's what I'm trying to. That's the one we're trying to get Levi Morgan to come on stage and shoot his bow. Hmm. You know, Nugent got Flaming in trouble arrow? for that. Did he really? In in Ohio, 
not Pennsylvania. Because he used to do the Whiplash Bash. And mm. we used to, like, I've, well, I went to the Whiplash Bash one time with my late friend Eric Kern. And Uncle Ted threw a bunch of jerky out into the crowd. And I picked a piece of that jerky up off the floor. And me and Eric shared it. And uh, he would shoot his bow. He would shoot his bow on stage. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into Ohio and gets discharging a weapon within city limits. You're kidding me. No, but we'll see about, we'll, we'll talk about whether or not. We'll have various audience members hold up little targets <laughs> and Levi will shoot those targets. Ooh, been a while since I did that. So we're going to have to check with the insurance it. adjusters. <laughs> or maybe Chester could do like an apple on his head. We'll figure it out. I'm good. Um, keep going. Uh, December 15th in Philadelphia at the Kenswick Theater. That's in Glenside, Pennsylvania, December 15th. And when the show opens, everybody will come in. The show's going to open. The show's going to open with some music by Chester, and then we'll get the show started. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what kind of music I should play. I'm going to be very heavily involved in that decision. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of live shows, this is the most important one. I want, like, at least, like, consulting on it. Sure. I've got got some good ideas for specific cities. Oh. Yeah. uh, No, that's... that's, Is is Clay going to join on stage? Because after that thing you posted... on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Do you I think mean, you can maybe play with Clay Clay's a little bit? Because Clay's coming to some voice. of the shows. Of course. So Giannis, like Giannis will be band. there for every, like, like uh, Chester will be there for every show. Giannis is there for every show. We're lining up guests. We got Jordan Bud coming to a show. I'm going to start working phones. Kevin Murphy's throwing down on two shows he's coming to, so he'll be on stage for a couple shows. The shows occur in sections. All shows will have a trivia component for audience, give audience chances to win stuff. All shows will have a Chester component. But the most important thing, this is the most important live thing. Phil? Yes. Tell him about your song and dance routine. <laughs> well, no, he's in a co- Phil's in a co- So Phil's a, a thespian. Uh, incredibly amateur. Hey, I just do it for fun. Well, yeah. no, I did, but I learned the other day that Phil makes a little jingle on this stuff. Occasionally, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he's a he's a he's a like a what's what's what sits between amateur and pro? Semi-pro. Yeah, semi-pro. <laughs> <laughs> or semi-amateur. He's a, <laughs> he's a semi-pro thespian. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm doing a little the little play this uh no, just in three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. Uh so you guys are doing Phil's doing a comedy. Yeah. Phil's always involved in some in, in community theater of some sort. Is it fair to call it community theater? Uh, I'd, I'd say like local theater. Yeah, community. Local theater. Yeah, there's a bunch of different uh, thing. I mean, I just started doing it last year just for fun because my kid's getting into theater. So I auditioned with him kind of to make him feel comfortable. That and wasn't then, the first thing you did. Uh, well, since college, yeah. The first oh, thing in like 10 years, yeah. Oh. But I'm talking like the kind of stuff where you buy a ticket and go down. I mean, it's a professional production. Oh, yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You buy a ticket. Yeah, it's there. not like going to see your kids like There are ushers. You can buy some. play. <laughs> you can buy some house wine in the lobby. Yeah, yeah. you drink wine. You got to buy. You got to pay to see them. So Phil's doing this, yeah, and he's so, doing right now. He's doing a comedy yeah, in Bozeman's called, Ellen Theater, and we did a live show at the Ellen Theater before. Yeah, I, I was not there. I think I was before I started working here. But so Phil's yeah. doing this. Yeah, it's if you're in Bozeman, 19, check it it's out. It's a 1930s slapstick comedy. Yeah, it's called You Can't Take It With You. It's a great cast. Um, yeah, I mean, and then also me. Our tickets on sale. Our tickets on well. sale. Uh, yeah, tickets are on sale. And when when are the shows? It's the end of October. It starts October 20th and runs for two weekends. So this uh, information applies for people who live in Bozeman and are into community theater. So no, I'm not sure the percentage of your audience. Uh, what I like about it is this is that time of year when the, when you got like a lot of rotten tomatoes in your garden, you know? Oh, that'd be... Season's winding down. 
I got one. I'm, I got one. I got setting off to the side for Phil. Um, <laughs> not gonna bring down down on the show. No, it'll be good. How how much are, are are there still tickets left? How much are tickets, Phil? Oh yeah, I think tickets started around either like upper twenties, uh, early thirties. That's not how you talk about prices. Low thirties. Low thirties. I'm not yeah, talking about the weather. year. <laughs> You're not talking about Chester. No. You're talking about the. Uh, yeah. So go out, go down there and support Phil. When Phil steps out, uh, it's a comedy. So I think you could probably applaud when Phil steps out. No, oh, yeah, please, please do. I, I desperately need it because I, I definitely don't get that, that attention around this office. So. What were you? What were you? What's your costume? Oh, I, it's like a buttoned-up suit. I think my my character comes home from like a ballet, so we're all we're dressed up to the nines, and people will recognize you. I think so. Yeah, you won't be. I'm not wearing a mask it. or okay. deformed. Like I'm not playing a uh, John Merrick or anything. Got it. So go support Phil. Uh, here's a topic: Meat Eater Podcast saves lives. No, this is incredible. We haven't hit this in a while. We haven't saved a life in a while, but no, but we've. I don't know. We back. should have like a thing where it, we track how many lives we saved. Because what was another life we saved? Tourniquets, right. multiple That's, tourniquets. Because yeah. oh, yeah. we had we had an emergency room doctor on, just imploring people to carry tourniquets, and then we did the campfire stories, close calls about tourniquets, and and a number of people wrote in either that. They it informed how they applied tourniquets, or at least they got a tourniquet. Now we did what was that episode we did about the guy that got stuck in the toilet vault? Uh, An American hero American, and a stuck man. Yep. <laughs> what, what was this show called? It was the Great Toilet Rescue. An uh, American like, hero, a stuck man, and something something. God, I forgot the rest of that. It's so a long title. We had a, we had some folks on the show who had rescued a man from a toilet vault where he climbed down there to get his phone out and got stuck. This led to a lot of people writing in about other situations where people have gone into toilet vaults at boat launches and got stuck in the vault. A state trooper from Michigan wrote in. No, but this was recent, because that episode no, was like a no, while this, ago. No, this, this is fresh this, news. Like this is like happened. hot news. Yeah, yeah. This is hot news. This stuff is just... I... It's so baffling to me. Well, okay. I am a trooper with Michigan State Police. So here's so if you get pulled over in Michigan for speeding, it's probably this guy. Uh, he says, Today a DNR officer, my sergeant and I, were dispatched to a boat launch within my post area. So they get an emergency call from a boat launch. He, his sergeant, and a DNR officer, a.k.a. game warden, get dispatched. It was reported, this is him telling the story, it was reported that someone was yelling for help. One of the post detective sergeants, he's getting mighty technical. I don't know what that, I'm guessing that's a cop. One of the post detective sergeants was in the area. He responded and located a woman who was stuck in the septic pit of the outhouse at the boat launch. Boat, boat, it turns out, people are going to be laughing. It turns out that, that boat launch septic pits eat people at an alarming rate. What was she trying to fetch? Her Apple Watch. And it's like, there should be a there could be a class action suit against Apple because it's iPhones and now an Apple Watch that these people are trying to dig out of there. She had dropped her Apple Watch into the septic pit. Why? And why? Now she was able to enter. Here's where the life saving comes in. She entered through the toilet seat. Oh. Got down in there. Okay. Got her watch, but couldn't get back out. Starts screaming for help, and a neighbor hears her cries. 
Now, the first responders, this is back to the narration from the state trooper. The first responders on scene were trying to figure out how they could get her back out of the septic pit through the toilet seat. Now, listen careful now. Then he goes on to say this, quote, Thankfully, I had listened to the episode of the podcast when you talked about a similar situation. To everyone's surprise, I was able to remove the toilet. And this is an important part. When you're stuck in a vault, a toilet vault, go down in there, get your stuff. (laughs) And when it's time to come out, that whole pedestal, as we learned on that episode, that pedestal is removable. So all these people stuck in all these toilets, it's unnecessary if you realize that the pedestal is removable. You do not try to need to fit up out through the seat. I'm just trying to. So he astonishes his colleagues by removing the pedestal. She's able to hop right out of there. So I just googled an Apple Watch cost between like three hundred and six hundred dollars. Like you could not pay me that much Mm -hmm. to touch that blue goo. No, I would. It's not just blue goo. Oh well, you know know that's what what everything's swimming in. Like there, I can't. You don't have children. No. Your your relationship with. Your relationship with fecal matter changes so much when sure. you have kids. It's I've not never changed a diaper. <laughs> just, I have a niece. I it goes from like a it just it goes from something that's just a no go yeah. to being like it's not pleasant, but I mean it's not the end of the world. Yeah. It's kind of the attitude you get. Oh, I would. I think it's different with your own kids though. Yes. For sure. For I mean, sure. you learn how to walk through your house like this to the bathroom. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Don't touch anything. I feel like adult fecal matter has to be different than like children. It's different. So. Oh yeah. But and, when I hear no. someone getting mauled or when I hear someone getting gored by a buffalo in the park I'm like yeah I can see that when I hear someone get stuck in a toilet vault because their phone I'm like yeah I can see that like it just be it's not it's not the cost it's the inconvenience if you're on the road what does your Apple watch even do that you need to survive like well I think of it as her phone oh yeah I I think I think we should also just point out that the Michigan State Police put out a news release. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I guess this gets this goes out to all uh, to all state police and detailing the situation. Uh, but then just at the end, there's another public service annou- announcement: If you lose an item in an outhouse toilet, do not attempt to venture inside the containment area. Serious injury may occur. Mm-hmm. So, for people who didn't watch the f- listen to the first episode of this podcast, we are spreading the message yet again. Yeah, and there's a there's a public safety element to this too because the guy that got rescued from the one here in Montana, right into the river. Uh, first stop. She went right into the river too. Oh, this this uh, news release says that she uh, was when she was lifted out with a strap, she went right into the river to uh, wash herself off. That's right, Ed. Well, if you're on a boat, do you maybe have a fishing pole? Like, could you get a little more inventive than just sticking your body down I think an that, outhouse Well, the guy pole? that did it, the guy that got stuck here was just traveling and just pulled into the, hmm. you know, wasn't fishing. Um, okay, ready, Chester? Ready. Okay, Chester is going to... So this is the thing we've been messing with for a long time. Corinne and I actually feel bad about because we wasted... Not, I shouldn't say wasted... The, there's a machine called the Warner Bratzler Sheer, Sheer Force. Force Meat Tender Tester. I had had an interaction with one of these years ago where some 
meat scientists were testing how tender beef was. And I was shocked to learn that there's a machine that applies a number to meat tenderness. So Chester and I have done a lot of different meats in the meat tenderness tester. And Chester is going to demonstrate, uh, walk us through it, Chester, what you have. We have got a yearling whitetail, right, Corinne? Yep. Mm-hmm. And Corinne seared this up last night. Just got the pan real hot, seared it on each side evenly, and we're looking at about a rare cut, you know? Hold it up so I can see. Yep. It's about rare. And um, the way you do it is you take, we're going to take four core samples here that I bored out with this here little contraption. So if you're watching online, you'll be able to see the core sample. If you're not, it's like a, like a core. Exactly. It's like a little stainless steel hole cutter. Yep. And I cut, I cut the meat, um, I cut an inch off of this little piece here, and I made these core samples... And I went with the grain. I cut with the grains. So they're all consistent. And that's so when it goes important. into the shear to measure its tenderness, it'll be cutting cross grain. Against the grain. Got yeah. It. Got it. Which is important. And this thing measures in kilograms of force, which is an international standard for testing how tender meat is. Um, so we're going to throw it in there. And we're going to do four, I don't know, maybe three. There's three good cores here. We'll do three um, tests, force tests, and then we'll get, you know, we'll average these out and we'll get how actual tender this meat is. Got it. What, what's interesting about this is one of the things we we're going to cover today is a letter just went out from the Michigan DNR basically begging deer hunters to kill does. I, the 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 doe I can't believe this the doe harvest in Michigan is actually down. Huh. The doe har- when I was a kid growing up in Michigan, if you drew a doe tag, you were so you would like apply for doe tags and wait in the like mm-hmm. licking your lips, hoping to get a doe tag. You know, Jerry Bob got a doe tag, and everybody be like really excited about it. Mm-hmm. They cannot get so agricultural damage. You have issues of disease transmission. You have issues of highway safety. You have herd health issues, just general herd stress issues. And they, man, people are not shooting does. And they're being begged to shoot does. I don't live there anymore, but it's like they're writing letters being like, please, please. Not that you can't shoot a buck. Get some does too. And just, I don't know, what, what the hell is everybody eating? It's a national problem it is. yeah we 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 put an article out just yesterday talking nationally about that issue people not shooting enough does we we're both levi and both from pennsylvania we had the same system you put in for a doe tag maybe you got one maybe you didn't now you can get six mm-hmm. and and we know that most hunters won't even shoot one yeah and so we're seeing that trend nationally where the buck harvest is actually equal to or even higher than the antlerless harvest yeah and it's a problem yeah i don't i don't what do you what do you think it is? I think it's a lot of things. I think you have more people really prioritizing mature bucks, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know good from the recreational end of things. But what happens is they're they're sitting there making a judgment. Well, I'd really like to fill this doe tag, but if I shoot that doe, is that buck I'm after right behind her? Am I going to ruin that somehow? Yeah. And then they say things like, "Well, I'm going to do it in the late season." 
Well, then the late season comes and everybody's burned out and nobody does it. But my friends that are serious about, like friends of mine that are serious about land management mm-hmm. on their properties, they hunt during the rut, they hunt bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Later, they get serious about doe killing. Mm-hmm. You know, my buddy Doug Durnell, they kill 30 does a year. I got another friend, they kill 20 plus does a year off their property. Yeah. Um, I got a friend in Texas, they kill hundreds of does a year off their property, but they make a time and make it an effort. And like after the regular hunting's done, they get busy. Yeah. They're educated managers, and I think yeah. that's the difference. Uneducated managers prioritize that buck so much that they don't understand that they're actually hurting their chances at a mature buck by not shooting those. You know, that's funny. Like the, this friend of mine in Texas, he's in an area there's no ag. Okay, so it's not a, it's not like a ag issue. It's not protecting alfalfa and corn because he's in a non-ag area, very rural. There's not like a highway collision issue. You ask those guys why they kill does. They kill does. They like big bucks. Mm-hmm. And he's like, they try and lower stress. Yeah. They're like lowering stress, lowering overpopulation. And it's all about buck management. Yeah. Well, I think PA has just, they made it so hard to get doe tags forever. You had to go to the courthouse and get them. And I'm like, get you, couldn't, fingerprinted. you could buy a buck tag <laughs> I mean, at Walmart. I think envelopes. Yeah. It just went away this year. Yeah, yeah. Now we can finally buy doe tags over the counter. So. Mm-hmm. I, I got my whole my son's whole baseball team buying doe tags for the unit my farm's in. I'm just oh, really? going to take all the kids and just turn them <laughs> loose. That's a great idea, that, man. That <laughs> sounds like a blast. Yeah. yeah. A good way to introduce kids to hunting, too. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure, man. Yeah. Dude, my kids get so excited about doe tags. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, Chester. Tell Okay, walk us through. That was an interlude. So we're looking at a scale from like two to six here on my guess on what this is going to be five meat starting at a five it's it's like kind of unacceptable that yeah. meaning it's going to be tough well we had that meat scientist from purdue on nebraska. yeah nebraska he was from uh university of nebraska mm-hmm. okay what did i say purdue what the hell is that mm-hmm. Purdue, sounds like a, that's a big, a, a big ag school too yeah. university of nebraska that's what he was talking about is when you when a customer goes and buys a steak and they're dissatisfied with their steak because it was too tough. It's a what now? Like a five. Okay. Meaning, I think what what that means in the kilograms of force, it's like unacceptable. Got it. To a to a paying customer, or whatever, unacceptable yeah. beef. Like a two is like, holy cow, that's a that's a tender piece of meat. Uh, three is like, you know, that's still pretty good. Four is like, it's starting to get tough. Five is like, got it. No. So two. If you're in this place and you get a steak and you're like, my goodness, that steak's tender, could be in the two. Right. If you're like, holy cow, that steak's unpalatable, it's a five. Yeah. Where you're like getting little bits of the steak out and put it in your napkin because you can yeah. never get it chewed through. Yeah. It's like you're chewing a piece of gum. Yeah. Might be a five. Okay. So Chester cut the core out and he loaded it into the sheer force machine. Yeah. And now what happens? Right now it's not zeroed out. Well... I've been trying to zero that thing the whole okay, time fine. I've been we're gonna here. Add, we're going to add 0.31. You can't get it zero? There's no tear button on there? Tear A? It's like French for zero? <laughs> it's not, but my, my scale has... Yeah. I was like, is that really French for zero? <laughs> what does that mean? Tear A, tear Because it's on all we're my gonna, We're going to subtract... Oh, yeah. yeah. What does that oh, mean? Three o. Three o. Okay. From this. That's how you yeah. zero out both. Steve, you, do you want me to punch in on that? Math or do some live? Or, uh, sure. Well, the oh. fact that we can't get zeroed is distressing. Well, is it the weight of the shear? It it could be. 
It could be, but they're all pretty consistent, so I feel like we could... um, That's okay. We'll just subtract. Phil, maybe don't zoom in, because then people won't know the scales that that, that it's off. (laughs) Well, Meteor Labs, we're like in a very professional lab setup here. Everything is accurate. Me and Chester got our lab. I'm sweating because I got my lab coat on. (laughs) I got Corinne's lab coat today. The way we could do this, Corinne, is just write both numbers down. The actual number, and then subtract yep that sounds good okay so just so this year when you're out there sitting there um and a and a white tail a youngster white tail fawn comes by and you're like well if i shoot that i might not have a buck keep this in mind how tender is that thing that just you let just walk past and just by cutting into this i think it's going to be acceptable acceptable exceptional he hit the button now it's shearing the meat Been very intrigued about this oh. machine. Ooh. That is some oh, tender yeah. meat. Point eight two. We're at an eight minus, two. Minus so point I, three. I, oh, so one, I think one point Corinne, five basically. If we, I feel like we don't subtract it. Mm-hmm. I don't know because it's like, I don't know. What do you guys think? It's like taking that measurement Chris. at the shear. We'll just do both. What are you doing both of? And we're going to do that number, and we're going to still record that, and then we're also going to subtract that Got it. point right. three zero. And just, just for consistency's sake, maybe we do, like, another one. Yeah, yeah do one more. Next time we do this, we're going to get the meanest old buck you've ever seen, man. <laughs> well. And run them through there. Well. Like, the kind of buck that, like, eats rabbits. We, we, uh, <laughs> we have a little mini-series called Test My Meat. Uh, throughout the next couple of weeks, we'll have some videos on social media, on Instagram, maybe on TikTok, where we test. What did we test? Gator. Old elk. Old elk. Meat that's been in the freezer for a decade. Yep. Uh, <laughs> we had people just we, sent us Sand all Hill kinds crane, of stuff. Crane, I think. Yeah, yeah we got so, crane. Yep. People sent us all kinds of stuff to test. Old bear meat, not old bear meat, tough bear meat. Mm-hmm. We had a guy send in a bear. He's like, you can't eat this bear. It's so tough. And we put re-ran that through the Warner Braxler. I like this idea of getting like baselines of meats because then I think we need to do like meat eater test kitchen. Be like, how mm. can we take mm. this gnarly old meat and make it more tender? Exactly. Mm. You hitting it, Chester? Yeah. If you, it'd be interesting to take a piece of shoulder meat, run it through the tenderness tester, and then slow cook one and run it through the tenderness tester. Or do like tester. a brine, do like a no. marinade, do like a slow smoke. That's a like, good idea. Whew, that is some tender. This, this is what I do right in my there. kitchen all the time. I just don't have a cool machine to test it. So what that come out to, Chester? One point seven seven in kilograms two. of force. Mm-hmm. Two is tender. Two is tender, like real tender. So when That's you're like looking at that white tail fawn walk by, he's more tender than tender. He's more tender than tender. <laughs> or, or she, or she, based on what we were just talking about. So, Corinne. Oh, yeah, yeah. she. Hopefully, no, she, no. yeah. Button box, that's frowned upon. Really? Yeah. Well, don't, don't start that because then you complicate it too much for people. Corinne. Then people get nervous. This is a, just so everyone knows, this is a back strap, right? Right. right. And when did you shoot this deer? And do you know how long it's like been in your freezer? Um, I shot this deer uh, last Let's see. It was like cull at the end of the season. I think it was December. December. 
think it was December. So it was last year. Like, it's yeah, it's yeah. been mm-hmm. sitting in there not mm-hmm. quite a year. Mm-hmm. Good job, Corinne. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Maggie Hudlow is going to come in. And uh, since it is Whitetail Week, Maggie Hudlow is going to come in and tell us about some highlights from Whitetail content. Yeah. So one of our most exciting things we've got going on is from our firearms expert, Jordan Sillers. Because we know how much everyone loves to complain about caliber battles. So now we are letting all of you uh, listeners, readers, interact. We are doing a uh, Whitetail Week caliber battle bracket, March Madness style. (laughs) It is uh, October Madness. So, you know, Shark Week, March Madness. We're ripping everybody off here. It's going to be great. so we have a few rounds. You get to cast your vote on the meateater.com in the comment section below the articles of what caliber you think is the best whitetail cartridge. Um, and whatever caliber wins that one goes on to the next round. Um, and kind of another interesting twist to this is everybody is picked around. So... Clay's got one, Spencer's got one, Garrett's got one, Mark's got one. Um, so we'll see who picked the best cartridge. And, and, this the, is- and the best, the, the listener's choice, audience choice favorite will emerge. Yes. And what's the criteria for the best? It's just your personal opinion, right? Highest Whether- public, yeah, but the highest public support. Yeah. Gotcha. What, like, meaning like um, what takes a deer down really well without ruining the meat ruin as much meat like you know what i'm saying well yeah and it's, but it's like a, it's a measurement of public opinion correct mm-hmm. it's yeah. also like the the article itself is structured like jordan's other caliber battles so he takes into account like the availability of it um the shootability i forget there's one more category in there gosh i read so many of these things you think i'd know it by heart um so people can read these things and kind of make up their own mind if they don't already have an opinion um, and when you do go on these and comment, you can just say like, oh, I think it's the 308 Winchester or I think it's a 6.5 Creedmoor. And you can also say why. So if you are very opinionated on this thing, like you can let everybody know or you can just say like, oh, it's this one. So that's how you can cast your vote. What do you predict will win? Oh, it's people really like the 6.5 Creedmoor and they mm. really like to talk yeah. about it. And I feel like people who like the 6.5 Creedmoor are very opinionated. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm leaning towards because I feel like that's the most vocal gun support group. And it's hmm. pretty trendy round. It's, too. it's very trendy. That's what my kids shoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great. My yeah. boyfriend's got one and I shot it the other day. I was like, did that shoot? I like, I didn't feel it. That's sh- <laughs> you sure you want to shoot that gun, honey? <laughs> no, I have my kids shoot, uh, SIG crosses with suppressors. And my 10 year old daughter is like, she's like made out of cables. She's very thin and, um, <laughs> like tough, but like thin. And she shoots that and just can just shoot, 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 shoot. That's awesome. Not getting kicked. You know, she kind of like laughs after she shoots because <laughs> she's like so amped up that it's going to do something bad to her. And then just, and then kids confuse too. They confuse the, they confuse the noise with kick. Mm. So once you really mitigate, like I'll still put headphones on her mm-hmm. and it's suppressed. And just because it's not so overpowering 
the loudness, she feels like she translates that to a lack of <clears throat> kick. Hmm. You know, it's super helpful, man. That's awesome. I used to dread shooting my gun. Yeah, man. to not when to I was like a kid. I dreaded pulling the trigger. Yeah, learn not to flinch like that, young. Sure. Yeah. yeah I, I dead mean, eye. Well, my kids, I'm like baby, and I'm putting head like the all the noise protections. He's got a, my son's got a six five Creedmoor too, and. My dad was like leaning me up against a tractor tire with a thirty out six and shoving right. tissue paper. In my head. <laughs> yeah. Right, you know, it's like yeah. good luck. You know, it's like yeah. okay. That's really why I can't hear anything either. So. I think my first rifle was like a seven mag. Yeah. with wow. like no ear protection and Same. like here you go. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, zero ear protection. No. Yeah. I remember the first awful. time. I remember the first time I shot. Uh, first time I shot a shotgun. Of course, it was like a sawed off twelve gauge. <laughs> knocked me on my ass. <laughs> And I was like, okay, ready to go. <laughs> and two deer hunting, like my old man and his buddy Eugene or whatever, I remember them, I got to be old enough to hunt with a gun. I remember they filled a gallon milk jug full of water, marched across Eugene's yard, set it on a fence post probably 60 yards out. And if you hit that milk jug, I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> Good enough. Good enough. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, you're like, ears are ringing for three days. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money. And provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized I didn't drink anything all day, and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick. It's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. 
Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we're gonna get into we're we're gonna get into a film you really gotta check out. Wild Tale, America's wildest wild wild tale, America's wildest conservation success story. Nick, lay it out. Yeah, yeah, it's we're we're very proud of this. It's a great film. Uh, it's one aspect of a larger initiative called the Southeast Deer Partnership, which is made up the the fifteen southeastern U.S. states. Uh, as part of the Association for Fish and Wildlife Agencies. So we have a lot of partners on this. Uh, the company that we worked with to do this is called Strategial, uh, Strategic Digital Services. Uh, Joe Clemens is the executive producer. Uh, they just did an outstanding job. We couldn't be happier uh, about it. And the reason we did this, uh, number one, because it's never been done before, but number two, as we talked about at the beginning, there are so many uh, critical things that people don't know about deer, other than don't hit one with my car or where can I go shoot one. They don't think about them a whole lot. And so a documentary of this type we thought would be a really good vehicle to get this in front of folks to watch it. And not just hunters, like I said, but anybody uh, that cares about wildlife at all. So um, it's, it's been, um, you know, producing this thing has been fun. But now that it went from research on the front end where we had to go and look at the numbers because that's something else that was never done. We would talk all the time about how important deer are, mm. but we couldn't really put numbers to it. And so we worked with responsive management to do some survey work. And, and this is, again, dialed in on those southeastern states. Now, we do have plans and have just talked about broadening, broadening this out nationwide. Um, but we found some critical things. I mean, just, just in the southeast, um, 209,000 jobs because of deer hunting. Uh, $5.5 billion in salaries because of deer hunting. Not in just, the southeast. Just in the southeast. And so we want to figure out what this is nationally because it's huge. And as I said at the outset, eight out of 10 people that buy a hunting license are hunting deer. Every time somebody hangs up the rifle or the bow and doesn't do that anymore, it has an impact on these numbers. Uh, Pittman-Robertson dollars is something uh, that you've talked a lot about on the show. So in 2001, there were $679 million that, that uh, came out of that fund. Through the analysis, we found out about 294 of that is just from deer hunting. Now that's nationally. Yep. So it's a huge number. And so this project originally was, uh, y'all give Larry Williams from the Fish and Wildlife Service credit for this. We had a conversation about five years ago saying, hey, this is a critical issue. Nobody's talking about it. We need to shed some light on this. And so he went and found the resources and, and helped pull this together. And to do the research, which I said is phase one, and now do the documentary Wild Tale, 
and blast this out to a whole bunch of people that, so that they can see it uh, and, and get the word out about this issue. Because again, if you're a bird watcher living in Iowa, you should care about deer. And we think people don't for mm-hmm. the most part. So it's important. Uh, I sat for interviews in the film, but then ha- now I haven't had a chance. To, I'm a little backed up on film watching. I sat for interviews <laughs> in the film, but I haven't watched the film yet, which I'm excited to do, and I'm going to do it this weekend. Clay Newcomb sits for interviews. Yep. Who who else you got? I mean, you got tons of biologists. Yeah, we got folks hunters. from the states, uh, that the, uh, the southeastern states for sure, folks from my organization. Uh, Dustin Lynch, very popular country music artist, is the narrator. Uh, as you said, you and Clay are in, are in it as well. Um, and so really went out and got, you know, all the top people, the top voices to talk about this issue from all the different aspects. I mean, you cover a lot of very interesting aspects that I know people don't think about mm-hmm. uh, in the film. Clay does the same thing. Uh, we have the state wildlife biologist on there talking about what it means to their state. Um, you know what else funny about Clay? He's, uh, he said, he goes, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I didn't expect it to be so good. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love he, it. He loved it, man. Yeah, we we he told us. Yeah, he was at one of the premieres. So we've been premiering yeah. this thing in different places in the country. I'll actually be in Virginia next week. Oh, is that right? Yeah, okay. yeah. So we're doing premieres. Uh, you know, love to do one out here sometime if there's a possibility to do that. No, oh, definitely um, would. Be. Yeah, so we'd love to do that. But um, you know, when as part of the research, state state biologists were polled about what do you feel the importance is of deer to your the funding of your agency, and out out of ten, it was eight point four. And so even though, you know, especially a deer biologist will tell you, a lot of them don't like the public because mm-hmm. there's very, there's no more polarizing animal than deer, but they recognize that they really are buttering the bread of the conservation of all species. So you know, most of a state wildlife's budget is funded through things that trace all the way back to deer and deer hunting. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the critical thing we have to have to get out there. Uh, the film, as I said right now, we're premiering, so uh, doing that across the country, but it's going to be available uh, for rent or purchase on Amazon and iTunes and Google Play on October 27th, so that's coming up very soon. Uh, but the main goal of this, it's it's not to sell the movie as much as it is to get this in front of as many eyeballs as possible, so that, you know, I tell people in our organization, um, I have a dream someday that somebody will join the National Deer Association, it has no intention of shooting a deer. Yep. And that may sound crazy, but if you look at Ducks Unlimited, one of the things I'm, that's very impressive about them is people buy duck stamps and they don't even care to shoot a duck, but they care about conservation. We need to, to make that happen with deer. And, uh, you know, Kip Adams is our chief conservation officer. He leads this project for us. And that is, we were texting about this before I come out here. That's the chief concern. Deer are conservation whether it be threatened uh, endangered species all the way through songbirds they mm-hmm. matter it's important when phil's done down there at the l and we should do maybe we can do like a screening <clears throat> down there or something like that think about that phil how many how many seats are in that place <laughs> i i honestly don't know it's a couple hundred though i'd say oh yeah yeah a few hundred that'd be fun to, to we should see if you guys could bring your film to to this town yeah we'll do it absolutely we'd we'll love to do promote it. it that's what we want to hear chester get up and play a song even better yet, where you wear the goggles too. And all these things is people are gonna, they're gonna show up expecting to watch, you know, be there for conservation. 
and then I'm gonna get up there and sing a song. People would be like, "Who the hell is this guy?" Yeah, you, you, know? get, you need to get like a pyrotechnics package and stuff. Just <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, I need to do something. Just it's really like get everyone machines going. And, and sparks and stuff shooting everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> to Clay's point, real quick though, I understand why he would say that because it's even better than I thought it would be. Oh really? Oh, so but, you're, you're guilty too? Absolutely. I mean, it's a yeah, it's a bunch of redneck deer hunters and biologists putting a film together. What could go wrong, Levi? You know. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean that's again where I thought strategic digital services really brought that professional i mean you watch this thing it's as good as any documentary you'll watch in anything so you know, no, i can't we're, we're wait proud to see it, it. Yeah. so so lay out for, again for folks how, how how to check it out in in um so it, it's uh you tour it you got tour dates coming up uh right now the last one we have is scheduled for october 4th in richmond virginia okay yep. we've already been in uh, kentucky arkansas and nashville and so that's what now, we have, have you thought, is it is it you know relevant to northern audiences and I, th I think it is. We yeah. want to we want to take it there. So we've just had conversations in Calgary about how do we now t make this the national. Well, yeah, story. you meant like northern U.S., right? But yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it is. It absolutely is relevant because the numbers. You know, they're going to be a little bit different for each region. But I think the the main point is driven home that deer really matter beyond just something you you shoot or avoid with your car. Yep. Yeah. And then and then tell people again how to go. So if they want to go see it and not catch it live, how do they go see it? Yep. So on October 27th, we'll be available on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. And if you want to see information on on the film, you just go to wildtailmovie.com and it'll uh it'll show you everything you need to know to find it. Great. And then uh tell us a little bit about National Deer Association too cuz I think that like people know and I'm a support I'm a Lifetime member and supportive Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. So a lot of times hunters will have, you know, hunters want to do habitat work and benefit of the things they love to hunt. Yep. So Ducks Unlimited is primarily, you know, a very hunting friendly, hunter focused organization focused on ducks. You have Quail Forever, Pheasant Forever, where people that love to hunt quail, love to hunt pheasants. Yep. Um, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, people that love to hunt elk. Um, I think it's maybe less widely known that there's a organization that works on behalf of deer specifically. So plug that out for folks. Yeah. So we've been terrible at promoting ourselves. Imagine that, you know, we're so focused on, on deer and the, and the habitat part of it. We've been around for 35 years. Mm -hmm. We were originally known as the quality deer management association uh, until about three years ago when we merged with the national deer Alliance to create uh, the national deer association. So uh, yeah, our, our uh, mission is to ensure the future of, of wild deer, wildlife habitat and hunting which should be you know, core to a, that we said eight out of 10 people buy a hunting license. So a lot of people ought to care about that. And we really are the only organization that uh, from a deer perspective that digs into the science. So we do a lot of interpretation of the science, everything from deer diseases all the way through how to grow a great food plot, uh, how to kill something, you know, all of those things. As I said yesterday, uh, we just had the article talking about doe harvest from Lindsay Thomas Jr., uh, our chief communications officer. So it's educational. It's also entertaining, but we also do a lot of policy work as well. I tell people that any day of the week, there's probably a hundred different bills across the country that have some impact on deer and deer hunting. And so we have, you know, Torn Miller, Miller, a policy guy out there doing policy work in the States and the federal government's so spending time in DC. So we're white collar, we're blue collar, uh, we're biologists. And, um, you know, I, I'm really proud of what we've done. Uh, what I'm not proud of is we haven't done the best job of telling people about what we've done. So uh, Wildtail will help us do that, um, being on shows like this. Our relationship with you all, uh, doing the tour right now with with uh, Mark Kenyon and going around and looking at all the, the conservation projects yep, that we're yep. working on together. I think three of those projects are ours. Uh, the Back 40 
that we uh, got through you all. We've had... Already, oh, yeah. How's the old bag 40 doing? It's doing awesome. I was asking Mark about that recently. Yeah. <laughs> we can't get rid of Mark, but other than that, it's going great. He seems to always show up there. But uh, just this year, I think we had uh, six six or seven hunters on the first Field to Fork event that we had out there this year were successful. Oh, is that right? Killing deer. Yeah. And we'll get back oh, and we'll, great, and we'll make six or seven more people successful. So we're taking a lot of deer there. We've now developed relationships with neighbors. Uh, out there who are letting us come on their property. For, for dough harvest and Yeah, stuff? because oh. when it started, and you know, this is Michigan and you've been on the property, uh, not everyone is excited about this idea. We're going to bring people in and shoot all these deer in their neighborhood, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's coming around and people are kind of embracing it. So we have used the back 40 as a model for, it. I think, we, I think we're doing with it what you all had hoped we would do with it. That's great, And we're man. very proud of that. I always felt that the um, squirrel numbers were disappointing to me out there. <laughs> I saw that episode. How's yeah. that coming along? Uh, you guys doing a lot of squirrel improvements? I was like the, bringing in hundred year old oak trees and planting them. <laughs> we'll have to put. We'll have to add that to the list. <laughs> we do have a local branch out there, which is very helpful. So it's local volunteers that are managing that land. Yeah, uh, we pick on Mark, uh, but you know he's part of that effort that helps do that. And so we we can't. You know, it's hard for us to do it from the national organization, but our branch does it. And yep. uh, I will put on the list squirrel habitat. Great. So you had six people get their first deer? Yeah, it might have been seven. Yeah, just the, our first hunt of the year out there. Oh, that's yep. fun, man. Yeah. Already this year? This year. Yeah, this oh, season. No early season. Yep. It's great. Yep. And getting along with the neighbors good. S- it seems to be. Excellent, man. Excellent. Yep. All right, everybody. Check out Wild Tail, America's wildest conservation success story. Um, set for release on October 27 on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. So you'll go see Phil, cheer him on. Yeah, oh, thanks. Um, and then and then race home and watch Wild Tail. Do the dates line up for that plan for that evening? That's a hell of a date night. <laughs> yeah, I think you can make it work. Have some coffee beforehand; you'll be fine. All right, Levi Morgan. Um, I want to dig back into. Oh, hold on a minute. Maggie, are we good, or we got we got more we want to talk about? Oh, for Whitetail Week? Yeah. Did I skip anything? I mean, we've we got a whole lot that we're going to be putting out on Whitetail Week. It's worth taking a look at the Meat Eater site. We've got articles from Tony Peterson and Mark Kenyon. We've got a video from Levi. We've got lots of video content. Uh, check out the Meat Eater site. Check out Wired to Hunt. We'll be putting out fresh Whitetail content more than you can consume every day. All right. Perfect. Now... Levi Morgan, 16-time world champion. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing I'm important is, to, let's pick it back up with you and your wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you competed against each other at nine years of age. Yeah. In the IBO, there's a class called the Cub class. Okay. And so when you're really young, you just all shoot, kids shoot against kids. And so probably till I was... Is she older than you? A year older. Okay. Yeah. And um, Samantha Klein was her name back then, and it was like... Man, I had a I had a huge crush on her then, but, but like, I dominated the cup class. <laughs> that was my glory days. Like, but I was just Is that this, part of that sixteen time. No, world that's champion? all professional. Okay. Uh, since I turned professional, but uh-huh. it, yeah, no, I was a little kid in jean shorts and knee socks and hiking boots and a polo shirt tucked in it. So she didn't like. She wasn't impressed. <laughs> did, you, did you say you quit for a while? Yeah, in high school. So what, what happened there? Yeah, I know you got into other baseball and basketball. Yeah. And stuff, but... So when I was, I think the last tournament I shot was the IBO World Championship when I was 14 as an amateur and won that. Um, set a world record and walked away from the sport. What was the world record? It was the first time that ever been cleaned, no eights, mm. all tens, 
through 50 arrows. So I never missed a, a 10 wow. through 50 arrows. But walked away. Yeah. I would just I mean, like, like, walked away like dramatically. No, or no, just, no. Oh, just, okay. you know, my dad was always my coach and it was just one of those things where he always demanded if I would, he was going to take me around, uh, to compete nationally that I was going to put in the work. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was just one of those things where I knew with high school, I was starting high school. I wanted to play sports. Girls were coming into the equation. Oh, Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> She's out of the picture though. Samantha. Oh, Samantha. Yeah. Let's yeah. not talk about Amanda. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Samantha was yeah. out of the picture. Samantha Klein. Yeah. Samantha, Samantha Klein is out of the picture at this point. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I just knew I wasn't gonna be able to put into the sport what I needed to, to compete at a high level. So. I just decided, hey, if I want to come back to it later, I will. And I just focused on school and sports and just, uh, so when I graduated, I knew like I had this desire to, to go back and, and dig back in. So what was the age? Oh, I got two things I want to know now before just set this up. First off, uh, what, at what age did you shoot your first arrow at a deer? At a deer would have been, um, probably like, Which is, I guess different than hitting one. Yeah. At, I would have been probably eight or nine. Okay. Yeah. And we, where I grew so up. So you guys in, were a hunting family. Oh yeah. That's, yeah. that's the whole way I got into it. My dad was a big, big hunter. Um, so he just started going to local tournaments and took me along just to get better at got shooting. It. And we grew up in the Carolinas hunting all game lands there. So he used to tell me, you're going to get one opportunity a year. So make it count. And it was like, that was the truth back then. Like we didn't see a lot. We would go two weeks and maybe see one or two deer. I mean, just hunting public ground. Yeah. 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 Got it. And so, so I, that I, was his, his thing was like, don't let the shooting be the, the limiting exactly. factor. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. When you get an opportunity, make it count. And I did not the first few years I bow hunted, but I think I killed my first uh, deer with a bow when I was 12 on that game land in South Carolina. And it was a 10 point. And it was uh, a nice buck. It was nice. Yeah. Really? I mean, for, for then it couldn't have been any bigger to me, you know, yeah. but. So were you at, at, were you sitting to stand by yourself at nine years of age? Oh Yeah. So I shot with my first year with a rifle at 10 in an old summit climber with a 270 by myself. Caliber battle. Yeah, Put I that down for caliber battle yeah. right there. I can't imagine turning <laughs> my 10-year-old loose. One point for the 270. But Check. it was just... <laughs> would you get scared being up there? No. See, I, I, when I, I get when scared I, at dark. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I had... When I was... I always remember this. When I was a little kid and I didn't start sitting a tree by myself. In Michigan, you had to be 12 to hunt with a bow. I can't remember if I started, like, I started gun hunting a little bit earlier than you're supposed to. Like, you're supposed to be, at that time, you had to be 14 to hunt with a mm-hmm. gun, but we'd usually get started a little earlier. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this was against the rules, against the rules. what I was doing. Yeah, it was just like, a, it, I, yeah. I guess my old man just looked at it like, well, he was ahead of the, he was ahead of the curve. Right. Because in the end, the states did decide, most states decided that it's a family decision. Right, yeah. And he just made it a family decision before mm-hmm. it was a family decision. But I remember, man, being in that tree stand at 12 and just being fine. Yeah. And it'd get dark and you had to wait for the old man to come yeah. around. And he'd be like, what is that guy doing? And <laughs> Every just, time and I just thought he left praying me. to see that flashlight oh, coming uh, through yeah. the trees, man. You know, oh, it used to scare me because I used to go, we had this big ravine on this farm we'd hunt and you'd go down the bottom of this ravine, dude. And it seemed like you were like in like, you're like in Lewis and Clark country. Oh, man, yeah. You're talking the bottom <laughs> of that ravine. We had two-way radios. But, oh, you did? but oh, my uh, dad wouldn't let me talk on it. <laughs> it was we had this Morse code thing where I had to. Oh, you had to click, click it because <laughs> oh, he was like, "You're gonna spook all the deer." So I was like, "Okay." I just randomly start clicking it and hoping he answered. But yeah, so he'd come pick you up. Yeah, but some, like you said, some nights it's an hour after dark. I'm up there in tears, like 
something happened yeah. and the rule was i couldn't get down until he got there well, that's what we had and every stump yeah. takes his turn looking like a bear exactly yeah yeah so now you toughen up quick i think oh i think so man yeah um how does a tournament work? Like, like lay out the yardages and target size and stuff. I mean, it's it's consistent, right? I mean, like every tournament you go to is the the what do you call it? The course. I mean, right? Okay, yeah, the course. The, the course is the same, right? No, it's totally different. So, so they so it, like indoors, it changes. Oh no, indoor archery is um would be called FIDA archery or yeah. NFAA. So that's all just the same yardage, the same face, doing the same thing every shot. It's more like turn your brain off. And just repeat over okay. and over and over. And that's like, that's because that's, that's what I'm trying to think of is differentiate what people might be familiar with, with watching the Olympics, for instance, right. to, to what you're doing. Yeah. And the Olympics is the same, but outdoors, it's like, you know, 50 meters or 70 meters, whatever it is now. Um, and they just stand there and just shoot the same yardage. So what, and I shoot those organizations as well, um, the NFAA, and I've had success there. But what I really love is is 3D, and so that's the course. It's like a trail shoot almost, yep. where there's no range finders. Every target's a different distance. It's like hunting simulation type. And, type and get, what what are the yardages want it being in that case? So it's zero to fifty approximately. Um, and so you know, it's just one. You might go to a a black bear target that's 38, and then you shoot that one score. Go to the next one, and it's a coyote target at 51 down a canyon. You know, so yep. it's just every shot's different. And then is a 10, uh, how's it, how's it scored out? Yeah. So you have, uh, in the ASA, it's a little different than the IBO. The ASA, the 10 is always kind of par. And like if you're a golfer, like that would be, they say a 10's your friend. And I agree in a way, but if you want to win, it's kind of not your friend. I Mm -hmm. mean, um, then you have a 12, um, which is a pretty risky shot. Um, if you miss the 10, you're an eight, you miss that, you're a five. Um, and then if you miss the whole target, it's a zero. Okay. So the rings just get bigger and less. And w- what does the 12 wind up being? So the 12 sits down like the 10 is like a five inch circle. And then the 12 is in the lower back corner of the 10 ring. So it's kind of risky. Like if you shoot mm, at that you flirt, and hit low. You're flirting with the eight. Yes. You're flirting with, if you hit low, you flirt with the eight. And then in the, in the finals, we have what's called a 14. So it's a bonus and it's up by itself in the corner of the eight ring. So you're flirting with the five. It's like. If you go for that, you and you miss. There's no par. Like you're dropping. You know. So it's a. So I know I've shot in the past, and there's like, I think how it works is five, and then uh, eight, ten, and ten x. Okay. Yep. So that was the old um, IBO rules. Okay. So it was a center X yep. in the ten ring. Yeah. And that was when uh, Cabela's had the NABH and, and uh, the tour and. Um, they broke ties with the X's. And that, when I said, I, when I was 14 and shot a 500, so the 500 was 50 out of 50 targets, that's all 10s. And they, it was an X at that point, but they don't do the X anymore. Gotcha. So the IBO, that's an 11 now. The center ring is an 11. Gotcha. And ASA, the lower ring is a 12. So now it's all bonus rings. There's no X or it's tie breakers or on bonus rings. But gotcha. so 500 was the highest score I could shoot at that time because there was no bonus rings. And so walk walk folks through what the what the range is like, like number of targets, how mm-hmm. long it takes to shoot the course, how many arrows you're going to shoot. Yeah, so for qualifying in a in a you know like a major 3D event, we'll shoot 20 targets on a Friday, 20 targets on Saturday, so 40 total. You'll have uh, four to five man groups. Um, takes about three and a half to four hours to shoot the course. 
Um, and then at the end of that 40 targets, they take the top five, and then we go into the finals on Saturday night. Um, and then shooting for the win and shooting. Um, so there'll be five in the open pro, five in the women pro, so down the line. Yep. And uh, when you're doing that, is there the no range finder thing surprises mm-hmm. me. Like that's, are you commiserating with other shooters? No, no, no. So you're no. keeping what's in your head in your head. Yeah, you can't talk about it. You can't um, hint about it. You can't do any of that. So are you able to observe them closely? The targets? No, no. Are you with the other shooters? Are you standing right next to them? Yeah, like we're standing next to each other, judging the, the these yardages, and it's just a educated guess. So I'm using. And you keep your judgment to yourself. Oh yeah, for sure. Got yeah. it. And then, um, you know, it's like you're using everything. Everybody thinks that they call me a walking rangefinder, and I'm not at all. You know, <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm like, if you only knew, like the numbers that went through my head before I shot that. It's, it's just a good decision. Like you're listening to how long it takes your competitor's arrow to get there. You're listening and you're using everything around you to like fine tune that window of yardages that it could be. Then you have say after everybody and after like, it's my turn to shoot and I'm like, it could be 42, it could be 45. Now I have just to make a smart play with that window of yardages that I think it could be to definitely stay in the 10 and give myself a chance to hit a bonus ring. Yeah. I was curious what, uh, so let's say you're talking in the 40 to 50 yard range. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the exact number is helpful. Yeah. <laughs> what um, what's just like what's what's a good guess? Let's okay. The known distance is fifty-one yards. Right. Um, what is too far off with your guess? It depends on where you're aiming. If and me personally, I aim at every twelve. I can't help it. Mm. Like you're shooting for twelve. Yeah. So I have to play my safety with my numbers. So if it's fifty-one yards, the perfect play would have been fifty-one and a half for me. Gives you a little bit of room to make a weakish shot and still hit a twelve. And if I make a perfect shot, I might clip the top of the twelve too. But it definitely keeps me in the ten ring. And what what talk about the gear you guys use and what the regulations on gear is? Uh, yeah, we um we're allowed you know binos. And we're shooting everybody for the most part is shooting a, a lens and our scopes. Um, three to five powers probably the most common. Uh, Back when I was younger, in my early 20s, I won everything with no lens. I just shot an up pin, no lens, but everybody's shooting 35 to 40-inch axle-to-axle bows, long stabilizer deals, you know, Mm -hmm. um, very stable platforms for that. Um, But no rangefinders, no electronics um, in our binos, none of that stuff, so. Back tension release, Mm -hmm. a lot of guys shoot? I I go back and forth between a, a back tension and a thumb button because um, target panic still rears its head every once in a while. I've dealt with it my whole life. And so um, I'll shoot a thumb button really light because I shoot that the best. And then when I feel those demons coming on, I switch to a hinge release and shoot that for a year and then go back and just kind of back and forth. Gotcha. Uh, talk about what you use for a site. Um, so for tournaments, I'm using what's called an Excel Achieve. And so it's a one pin on a mover yep. pretty much for, for people that hunt. And you got it. You got it. Calibrated tape, obviously. Yeah, down yeah. to the. I mean, you can set it to the tenth of a yard. Um, no kidding. Yeah, and so like one click is just like so minute, and so um, it's just a very micro adjustable, tunable sight. And shooting like a ten thou blue fiber, so it doesn't starburst, so you can really pinpoint aiming. And running a light kit to that, like an LP light that you can dim down. Super so you can good. have a battery device on there on your bow, yeah. yeah. So you can, but just, nothing that projects. It, right? No, it can't project light. It can only be to light your pin. Yep. Um, 
And so, you know, now these, the bows now, we're literally shooting them. I'm shooting them pretty much out of the box. When I was 20, you took them apart and rebuilt them. You know, you had to know how to pretty much build a bow back then. Limb pockets were sloppy. Um, you were shimming cam, shimming limbs, you know. I should have had a sponsor from JB Weld when I was 20 because <laughs> that's how I built stuff. So it, it's, Is that right, uh, right? yeah, it's changed tremendously. So at what age were you messing with your own bow? I was really lucky to grow up in an area had a ton of really good talent um, in that Western North Carolina circuit. Uh-huh. Um, some of the first guys that won a ton took me under their wings. My dad was really my only coach on the mental and shooting side of things, but I had some really good mentors like Scott Cope and. Uh, an older guy named Dave that that took me under and just showed me how to work on bows and showed me why, when things would go wrong, why, mm-hmm. how to build arrows, how to tune. Um, I would say probably 15 to 20. Uh, even though I wasn't competing, I was learning a lot from like the Scott Cope. So 18 was my rookie year when I graduated. And Scott Cope, that year I learned more about bows than I'd ever learned in my entire life from hardships. Because my rookie year, I shot as good as I do now, but it was the little things that I wasn't doing that kept me from winning. And so, little things from a gear standpoint, gear standpoint, meant you know just the way I was attacking the range, everything. Um, but yeah, mostly just my setup type stuff. What uh, what percent do you think uh, when it comes to success in a tournament? This might be hard to answer. What percent is uh, equipment? And what percent's mental? Because everybody's probably got good gear, right? Yeah, it's it's ninety nine percent mental. Because because yeah. everybody's got access to the same yeah. stuff. There's no secrets. Yeah, no. Yeah. And then you stand on the practice range of the bags. There'll be three hundred shooters. And if you said pick, if you can't see the faces just off the groups in the bag, who's going to win? They all look the same. Everybody shoots just as good, pretty much. Even through the amateur ranks at these com- competitions, there's incredible shooters, but. It's the little things and your plan strategy. Right, back, back that up for me. Yeah. Tell me that again. So if you walk up and you got 300 shooters. On the back, like practice bags. Okay. So like there's a bag line. So like pre-tournament practice yeah. bags. Yeah. And everybody's out there just checking tapes, checking their equipment. And like the top amateurs are shooting groups like gotcha. at 50. So it's you can't, you wouldn't be able them. to stroll down groups and see no. like, oh, this guy's all over the place. This guy's tight. Yeah, I mean, occasionally, but no. for the most part. The people that show up to these tournaments are very top-level archers. Like in a controlled situation, yes. they're going to all shoot good. But it's when you get when that horn sounds and it's for score, you know that's when everybody starts going away, and it's just like the pressure and knowing you can't make a mistake and people's mental approach. It's just those yeah, are little mental thing. game, man. It's, it's just got to be. <laughs> it's insane because you know most sports you have that that adrenaline spike and you use that like football or baseball or basketball to run faster, hit harder, throw further. Yeah, you're like crushing Gatorades yeah. against your head. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In archery, that's your enemy. Yeah. Like you got to yeah. keep that suppressed, right? And, and push down. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so with that being like such a huge factor, like being able to control your stress, mm-hmm. how does that translate into the deer woods? Do yeah, you think it's time. like, are you more relaxed there than in the tournaments? No, or? I'm worse. Really? I'm way worse in a deer woods, yeah. Um, because it's such an uncontrolled environment, mm-hmm. you know, and like I, you don't know how long that deer is going to stand there. And I've seen some of the best shooters in the world that couldn't hit a live deer to save their life. Because no. of what? Mm-hmm. They just freak out and rush. They're just freaking yeah. out. Mm-hmm. They Like I think most, I think it's most people's mistake deer hunting is that you feel like it's constantly about to run, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, 
I really, when we started filming our hunts, is when I learned the most about myself and hunting is because I would feel so rushed <clears throat> and make mistakes rushing and then go back and watch. And I'm like, there was so calm. Oh, there's nothing to rush for. Yeah, it was, why was I in such a hurry? So I really started to slow myself down. But but competitions has made me do that as well. Just how my, I mentally approach those big moments. And when my body's telling me to like, hurry, 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 and how to turn that and just really slow down and hyper-focus. Do you think doing both helps? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I'm coming out of my highest stress tournament season in August and right into hunting season in September. And so I think most people bow hunting pick their bow up maybe a month before season, and they haven't felt any pressure, any stress. They shoot by themselves in the backyard, and then the first time they're under that is when that deer of a lifetime or big buck or elk is standing in front of them, and they just crumble. That, that stuff about a month before in your yard by yeah. yourself really resonated with me. <laughs> I mean, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Or I have the high stress of my kids. <laughs> the high stress of my kids yeah. kind of paying attention. Yeah. So I'm like, I've had my, my 11-year-old now, I'm trying to like prepare him for hunting season because this is kind of his first full season hunting tree stands with a bow. Yeah. And so I'm out there just putting the pressure on. Like he's walking, I'm going to stop him. I'm like, man, and like, I'm like, make the shot, you know? And then he's failing and we're learning through that because I'm trying to duplicate that feeling for him so that when that happens, he can have success and not be bummed out because he's very hard on himself anyway. So what, what, what are the gear differences? So shooting tournaments, mm-hmm. um, are, is it, are you using totally different arrow setup? Oh or? yeah. Okay. Arrows and tournaments are a lot bigger, so we can shoot up to like a 27 diameter shaft to okay. cut lines. And that's kind of the purpose behind it. Oh, that. really? Yeah. Shoot Just because that little. Yeah. Because so many days shooting like a, even a smaller diameter. That's I've an interesting it, point, you man. miss rings mm-hmm. by just, and you're like. So like a thicker arrow just blows a better hole. Yeah. Just cuts lines better. And so. But I mean, but by 30 okay. seconds of yeah. an inch. Minute, but I, so many tournaments I've you should lost. Should get some of these arrows we got sitting right here, man. Oh, that's what those I are. Need. Some winners right there. <laughs> well, one uh, one of my buddies actually, because there used to be no rule indoors for arrow size, uh-huh. and he took stabilizer bars and made arrows out of them. You're kidding? No, I swear. And because um, <clears throat> back then there was a million dollar prize if you didn't miss between three tournaments, you won a million dollars, and that you didn't miss the first two tournaments, and then after that third one, he think he missed one or two for the million dollars and they, they put an arrow r- rule like the next year you couldn't shoot over a certain size wow that, yeah. i didn't oh i mean that's that. a that's a really interesting point it's like yeah. that little bit of diameter mm-hmm. yeah but the bigger they are the harder it is to get them to tune sometimes sure yeah, they get stiffer off, and right? stiffer yeah. yeah there's a point at which oh, it doesn't yeah. help anymore for sure so what what do you like what do you like to use to hunt i use a micro diameter smallest like a 166 uh-huh. um we actually just finished building a whole platform out of that system because I love the system. I hated all the components that went with them in the past, but that's the arrow I like. It's yeah. really small for penetration, cutting the wind. What do you like for broadheads? Um, so I sh- I've shot swackers, a two-inch expandable for 12 years. Really? Yeah. You use um, it for everything? Everything from moose to elk, grizzly bear. I've shot everything with them. So buffalo. With the mechanical. Mm-hmm. But I got a 31-inch draw shooting 78 pounds and so I'm pushing a lot of energy. Oh, yeah. with uh, <laughs> 78 pounds hunting with mm-hmm. your with your tournament bows, I'd imagine you're pulling less. A little, 72 to 74 oh. pounds tournaments. Um, if you shoot feta, it's a max of 60, which is gotcha. why I don't shoot that a lot. It's just I can't. I don't. 
hold 60 pounds well because I never shoot 60 pounds. Is it the same amount of let off as your hunting bow then, your tournament bow? Yeah, 80. Mm -hmm. I've shot all the way down to 70% in tournaments, but depending on the way the cam's built, um, like there's 70 Vs, there's, you know, just regular 70s, which way, the way it falls into that, that valley, everybody wants a different feel and I've just got to where I like 80 for everything anymore, so. Uh, why do you crank up from going from tournaments to hunting? Why are you cranking up six pounds? Um, cause I'm only shooting one arrow hunting. So tournaments, oh, I you know, you. I'm shooting a lot of arrows a day. Yeah. You got to play the long game a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh, so do you train is, higher? Not really. No. I mean, for tournament season, I'll start like indoor season. I'll be shooting 70, 72 and then just kind of, and that's a lot of arrows in, in the beginning of the year, January, February. So by 3d season or outdoor season, I'm in great shooting shape. Yeah. And then. Going into hunting, going up to seventy-eight pounds, it's not not a huge huge deal, especially you don't shoot nearly as many arrows. Mm-hmm. But I like to have that little extra if I can. This year, I actually had to back off because I couldn't get an arrow to tune for the first time. That's that high poundage. A two fifty spine was too weak, mm. so I had to back off my poundage to about seventy-five. Is what I'm hunting with. I think. Got it. Mm-hmm. What uh, what's some of the biggest mistakes you think people make hunting whitetails? Shoot, hitting whitetails. Not hunting them, hitting them. They aim where they want to hit. And you're aiming low. Uh-huh. How low? Depends on the distance. I've heard, you talk, I've heard you talk about this in the past. Yeah, so. I think, you know, I think 40 yards is the worst. 40 to 50 yards is probably the worst distance to shoot a whitetail, in my opinion. Because they, they can hear everything. They can hear the bow. They hear the arrow. But they still have time to react. Yeah. Once you get further than that, they can't hear the bow go off as well. They don't react that jumpy movement and then 30 and under if you're shooting a pretty fast bow at 30 they can react a little but at 20 you can pretty much aim where you want to hit for the most part unless you're hunting like really keyed up south texas or texas stuff you know you have to know where you're at you have to know your deer herd you have to read their language but normally a good rule is to aim lower third of a whitetail i think because if you hit if they don't move you still shoot them in the heart and if they drop 10 inches you're gonna hit them in the lungs Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift 
especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, it's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app, and if you're giving an Aura as a gift. You can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Name the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and select it as one of Oprah's favorite things. Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater. Make sure you use code MeatEater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. What's a big drop for a deer loading up to jump? And, and talk about that too is like the idea of that he like jumped the string. Like talk about it, what, yeah, yeah what he they're ducked the arrow. Just, like talk about what he's doing. They're just crouching to run, you know, but they have to flex their legs to, to run. And so it looks like they're ducking your arrow, but they're yeah. just. They're not like, oh, here it comes. No, they're just, <laughs> just getting out of there, you know. Yeah, he's loading up to spring. To, to, to spring. To run. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just, I take all that into consideration. But if they're 40 yards, it's dead quiet and they're keyed up, I'm aiming like belly line. Really? Yeah, because they're they're going to move. So you're aiming that if he didn't do anything, you're in oh, trouble. Oh, yeah, you're in trouble. But he's going to do something. <laughs> but I know he's going to do something. <laughs> we and, filmed them on where they, well, they, not only do they drop, but they also will turn. load away from mm-hmm. you. So they're, it almost, if you're, it's like you're oh, watching. Oh, because he's fixing to go the other direction. Yeah, yeah, so the arrow, we have video of the arrow just climbing yeah literally just as he's falling the arrow goes almost like a special effect which it's crazy which kind of makes sense if they're getting a predator's coming Mm -hmm. they're gonna want to yeah a whitetail especially doesn't need a reason i mean i would hunt other mule deer i feel a little differently about they always Mm want to check and see what's going on a whitetail doesn't need a reason and it's just that immediate reaction boom yeah it's insane yeah Yeah, they'll wheel away and turn like there's so much to take in consideration and i think people just shoot a deer target a ton and yep. you know practicing and they just the tin ring and everything's where they want to hit it's double long and that so when that deer comes out they just put their 30 yard pin right in the lungs and shoot and backstrap them or shoot over them or yeah i just think that's the probably the biggest mistake i see people make as far as the shooting aspect of it i'm trying to think of how to ask this i'm going to take a stab at it if 
at what distance? And I know there's all these variables like mm-hmm. speed of arrow and all that, but let's say it's totally still a calm out. Mm-hmm. At what distance is a deer that is just like because of the noise aspect? At what distance is it just too far to know where it's going to be when the arrow gets there? Oof. I've seen deer completely move out of the way at 40, you know, and then I've seen deer at 80 stand there and never move at all. Like, yeah, I got so it's saying. very hard to say. So at 40, one can be out of the way. For sure. I mean, depending on the speed of the bow, I mean, I'm talking about three feet from where you're aiming. You know, you might hit them in the hip type stuff. Yep, yep. Just a very, you know, bow hunting and hunting in general, just very uncontrollable. And so you just have to take high percentage shots and then understand that bad things are going to happen every once in a while and you have to deal with it and do your best. And so, I mean, for somebody to say, I bow hunted my whole life, never made a bad shot. Never, I called Who told it. you that. I'm saying like that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ne- I called every you know situation exactly as it was going to happen. It's just doesn't. It's not the way it is. So. Yeah, yeah. Some if, if somebody tells you that, they're probably uh, they're probably full of it. Yeah, yeah. But I feel really comfortable shooting a whitetail. Like I love that 60 to 80 range because they don't move a lot. Got it. And I still feel very comfortable shooting, but I mean, I've dedicated my life to that. I I think yeah, that's your business, man. Yeah, yeah, and and so that forty to fifty makes me most nervous, shoot because they're never where they were when I the release fires. Huh. And so it's like, where's he gonna go? Talk about your aiming process. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You're not aiming at Brown. No, no, no. My dad <laughs> taught me like, so I missed a lot of deer when I was hunting those game lands for that, when I said I started hunting at like, started shooting at them at like eight, and then I killed my first one at 12, well, that four-year span was not pretty. And so my dad really started, that's what I was doing, like just put pins on it and shoot. And so he really like drove it into my head that I got to pick a hair. He's like, you have to pick a hair on that deer that you want to hit, you Mm -hmm. know? It's old saying, aim small, miss small, but that was his way of telling me like, don't just aim at the deer. It's a good way to miss. And it's still true to this day in tournaments. I take that aiming at the 10 is a good way to shoot an 8. Yep. You know, aiming at the 12 is a good way to shoot a 10. you got to aim at something way smaller than that. So if you miss, you're still good. And so that's the way I still approach that is, like, I want to pick the ventricle of the heart I want to aim at. You know, that type of I thing. Got it. Like, so that's how you're thinking about it. Yeah, that's how I think about it. And that, like, That's an interesting deal. You can see people might, people that don't shoot bows uh, – might get this from just sh- sighting your uh, rifle at a range. Like mm-hmm. if you're just trying to zero your gun at 100 yards, shoot a bullet hole mm-hmm. and then use that. Yeah. And you'll watch your group shrink down. For sure. Like if you if you got a one-inch circle on a target and you're trying to see what your group is like, just never mind that. Ha- aim at a bullet hole. Yeah. And you'll be like, oh, because, you know, I don't know what it is going on. It's just like that that level of precision, you know, or – shoot an arrow and aim at the knock. That's your focus. Yeah, and yeah. give it like, try to find something. But the hard part, you know, I can do that all day long or I'll go and take whatever, you know, take a little bit of blue masking tape and kind of mm-hmm. tuck it in something. But deer running around the woods. They don't have that. They don't have blue masking <laughs> tape. <laughs> so how are you there. like, what do you think, what do you like actually, if you if you had to analyze what's probably occurring in your head in a very quick sense, like, what are you actually looking at? You know what I mean? When you're looking at that deer's body, what right. are your eyes going to? So I think this is where 3D tournaments has helped me so much okay. because we're aiming at a target and you can't see the rings. There's no dots. There's no, it's a blank deer target. You just have to know, like you find the rings with binos and then you get very good at aiming off of shadows and 
just little detail differences. And so for me on a deer, like I think first and foremost, you have to know the anatomy of a deer yep. and an animal really well. Let, let's do it that it's a 40 yard shot. Okay. 40 yard shot, perfectly broadside. I am going to give myself, and it's all just, for me, it's giving myself the most room for error, yep. human error, the deer moving, everything. So 40 yards, perfectly broadside. I'm going to pick that spot just behind the elbow, about two inches, an inch and a half, two inches up in the deer maybe. And I'm going to burn my 40 yard pin about an inch or two behind that crease. And knowing that deer is going to move. Yeah. You know? See, that's the thing there, man. It's like, not that, like, I wonder if it will, but you're just like, it will. I know it will. It's going to move. Yeah. I, now, if the wind's blowing 40, it's raining, he's looking the other way, he's chasing a doe, everything changes that. Uh -huh. I almost messed up last year in Mississippi. <clears throat> the buck was chasing a doe out of a cane thicket. It's quiet. So in my mind, I'm thinking he's going to, he's going to drop. But when they're that keyed up and rutted up on a doe, they don't hear anything. You mm -hmm. can you could scream at them. They ain't paying attention. And I hit him in that inch above, right behind the crease, and hit the heart, bottom of the heart. But it's Cut like it good though, he yeah. didn't move, and it scared me to death. You know, and I shot, and he just stood there and took it. I was like, oh, man. But in a normal scenario, they're going to duck 5 to 10 inches at 40 yards. Are there shots, and let's keep it like, let, let's keep it 40, or, you know, 40 or so. Let's say you got a buck and he comes in, he gets like semi downwind and he just knows something isn't right, mm -hmm. you know, works. As, are you thinking like, no way he's too keyed up? Are you just playing? No. You just plan on, <laughs> you just plan on that then. Yeah. You're I'm like, just, this dude is a flight risk at the, when the string for goes. For sure. For yeah. sure. Then, then I think, I think there is a time where you just have to say it's not, it's not going to work. You know, if he's that keyed up looking at you at 60, is probably not a good play. you'll make you might make the call not to do it yeah yeah but 40 i think you can still make the play he can duck but he you know it's it's just such a situational thing yeah you know i'm thinking of the average hunter here yeah I mean, you're you're the best in the world okay we established yeah um <laughs> with much yeah yeah but, I, I pounded the table yeah. that's right but you were able to take your mind through a thought process in right. a very intense situation yeah, the average you, guy, realistically, like 25 yards, maybe 30, right? I think, you know, the high percentage stuff, yeah. I think the average guy can get efficient enough to shoot 50, 60 yards and be very good. The problem is, you in, in the white woods, you have to be able to process and take in so much information and then make a good decision with it like that. And that's the hard part is making good decisions in those moments. And it's like, I think that's why so many people just make bad shots or if they would have just been able to process that a little quicker, mm -hmm. you know? So I think, yeah, I think most guys, you know, bow hunting was growing up was always a 40 and under game, yep. you know? And that's the way it just was. And it's just this unspoken rule. It's like, no, nope, I can't, I don't have a pin over 50 yards. And I never did growing up because I was on the East coast. We couldn't shoot further than that anyway. Yeah. But when I started hunting out west is when I really, it opened my eyes up to this long range bow hunting stuff. I showed up in an antelope camp with um, Tim Gillingham, who's another one of the best in the world shooters. And I had a 50 yard pin and that was it. And he laughed at me like out loud. <laughs> like kind of me. good luck? Like, yeah, good luck. You're not going to kill an antelope. He told me that straight to my face. And so I proved him wrong and made it a point <laughs> that I, I will get to within 50 yards of one of these things. But I realized really quickly, like, okay, if I'm going to be successful out west consistently, I've got to learn to shoot further. For the whitetail stuff, you do not have to 
shoot past 50 yards to be successful. Maybe that's why I've had such a hard time out here. You know? It's hard, man. It's, well, I, it is I, Jesse hard. shoots homemade bows. I, oh, really? Yeah. I used to a lot more. I haven't had a lot of time, but yeah. I used to build bows. But yeah, I wanted- little secret I, you might know about Chester. He has a bow company. Oh, I, I, not anymore. <laughs> not but anymore. He did. I- yeah. I wanted to tell you a story about Aim Small. Look at that tattoo on his arm. Small. I can't yeah. argue with that. It's got, <laughs> he's got an arrow tattooed on his arm. <laughs> One day, I, just is just a real quick story. Out in the Elkwoods, I get out there and I always shoot a couple arrows with, I have a judo point. So I'm at about 15 yards and I pick out a little rock and I shoot. And I just miss it. I'm like, all right, that's pretty good. You know, I'm happy with that. I walk down the trail a little bit. I see a grouse at about 15 yards. I aim at it. Shoot at it, just miss it. Yep. <laughs> then, a little while later that day, have a bull come in about 20 yards, perfectly broadside shot, all nervous, aim at it, just miss it. Yep. <laughs> yep. But it just goes to show you, it's like, come on, man, I can hit my target yeah. at 20 yards. Your you focus know? gets bigger every exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah, that, but, see, that's just a weird thing, man. It I, is like, hard. There's so many, God, there's so many like failure stories. There, there's so many <laughs> failure stories that when I'm trying to explain this to people, like the sort of, you know, like the agony of trying to learn how to kill an elk with a bow. Like we started hunting, I started hunting deer with a bow when I was little and it was just different because, you know, during bow season, be like, we'd shoot any deer you could possibly get mm -hmm. a chance at, you know, but how hard it was to learn how to like kill elk with a bow. I remember... When I finally killed a bull, I killed a couple of cows, and I finally killed a bull with my bow and hit it through the heart, and it didn't even really move and died. I thought I was hallucinating. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's, it's easier to imagine that I'm in a hallucinatory state <laughs> than it is to imagine that that just fell over. <laughs> I was like, I'll buy that. Like, that's, that's more, that makes more sense yeah. that I've entered a hallucinatory state. But I think that that's like, if you review... All the bad, like when you review the bad shots, you know, and I review the bad shots I made on my bow, and when I, when I review the good ones, and I review the bad ones, the bad ones you recognize that you don't know what, but there was a lack of certainty. Mm -hmm. it, there was, a, there was a, a flash of like, let's see what happens, or a flash of I hope this works out. Yeah. Or you better do this. Right? Yep. And when it's not, it's that you review in your head, you're like, no, 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 that's right. Like, I went like, no, 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 calm down. Yeah. And I placed the arrow. Yeah. There was no, who knows? Yeah. No, that's the- <laughs> Let that's her rip. You know? 100%. You, I mean, it's so funny because I, I try to tell people all the time, they're like, how do you, in those moments where, even tournaments, where everything is on the line, like, how do you not let, like, all the negative- like what could go wrong stuff in because that's what happens. It's like, like the skier analogy. It's like, don't hit the tree. Don't hit the tree. You hit the tree. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, what you're focused on is, is very important. You know, Do you have a, there's so many different things and ways and that people teach. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you have a process? I, you know, I, I won a lot of tournaments before I really, really realized what I had a process in those, those, and I, I've watched a lot of people, and I think I just got a little bit lucky, too, as far as having that. My dad was a really good mental coach, tough, tough love type mental coach, but he was very invested in me being able to perform in high pressure. And so it's like 
I never really had a way to word it until recently. And mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you guys have heard of Joel Turner mm -hmm. um, with like, the shot IQ. Yep, yep. Aim it to keep it. Yeah. And like, but it was the way he explained it to me over the phone that really made it make sense what I did. And like what I was talking about slowing down those, those big moments. Mm -hmm. um, because when you get in that moment, even in tournaments, you just want the result now. Like in, or when that big bull elk steps up, like I want it now. I want to, I want to see my arrow hit it now instead of just letting your process just, just, you know, organically happen. So I was always able to slow down in those moments, but I didn't know why. And I always saw people that performed better in high pressure and I didn't know why. But when Joel explained it to me like this, he's like, Levi, how much determination would it take for you to walk through a house that was on fire? Like slowly walk through it. I said, it was a lot of determination for me to do that, you know? And he said, well, that's what your mind's going through in those moments. And he's right. And so once you start looking at it like that, because everything feels like it's on fire and you just want to run through that moment, mm -hmm. you have to learn how and to you, walk like you said, you, like you want it so bad. Yes. Like this is what you've worked for, this opportunity right now, yeah. this arrow, whether like this year shooting for worlds, like my whole season came down to that arrow and everything in me wanted to just get to the result now. But I literally, that was probably the slowest arrow I shot all year because I was like, this Double is the last. Everything. This is the yeah. last era of worlds. Yes, okay. the final era. I put up up on my Instagram a video of me shooting that, and I didn't like in the moment. I looked so calm, but inside I was on fire. You know, because mm. everybody's always like, "Dude, you are just made of ice. You like ice water in your veins." I'm like, "No, I am freaking out inside. I just look that way." And so, and it was really, really a slow, methodical process. And if you'd have looked at me at 19, 20, I was still winning a lot, but the more nervous I got, the faster I shot. And so the older I've gotten, I've realized really important it is for me to slow down the more nervous I get. And and What does that look like? like walk walk through what it looks like to slow yourself down. Um, Not what it looks like, but I mean, are you are you literally talking to yourself? Yes. Okay. I'm so talking you're, to you're like lecturing yourself. Yes, on where I want to hit, I'm going to hit here, I'm going to aim here, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to shoot it for this. I'm double checking my sight tape. I'm going to execute slowly and steady and just really affirming every positive thing that I'm going to do. Okay. Not like what could happen if I don't do this. Cause I've had tournaments where I let those thoughts in and it's, you just collapse and you, it's over. What thoughts? So like oh, everybody's, everybody's looking mm. like this is your whole season comes down to this. You know, there's a hundred thousand dollars on the line. You know, you haven't won in, in three tournaments. Those thoughts, yeah, I understand. you know, um, after the phone call from some of your biggest endorsements of like, hey, how, what's your practice routine looking like lately? You oh, know, those, God, it's like, like everybody's man. doubting you <laughs> and thinking you're washed up. Really? Oh, I've heard it all. It's oh, like, man, you know, I'll be like, yeah, I got to run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, um, I've been like those stretches in your career where it's like, you just can't get it. You just right there and just like five in a row where you don't, you don't win. And it's just like, everybody's like, oh, he's lost it. You hear mm. the buzz and it's like, okay, I got to shut all that up and figure it out. And I think just, and I think that's why you see in a lot of sports, the guys that dominate and then they just go away because it's that expectation that of other people. And then you put on yourself, that cloud just follows you everywhere. Yep. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling. What's old for a tournament shooter? Uh, some of the guys are in their 50s still shooting incredibly okay. so you, well. So you can play a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So I could. I, I don't know that I will. Yeah. Um, How old are you? I'm 36. Okay. 
Uh, but you could do another decade if you felt like it, right? Yeah. I mean, if my eyes, the main thing is your eyes. Is that, is that what the, the limiting mm -hmm. factor is? Yeah. So a lot of the guys have had, you know, different surgeries and kept their eyes really good. My eyes are still great. They change every year, but I can still see very well. What's your deal with um, stuff like coffee, you know? Yeah, I drink coffee every morning. So Even I don't- Even on a tournament mm -hmm, shoot? Uh -huh. I just could try to limit it um, until after, but I am like a, addicted to caffeine badly. Okay. <laughs> so so that's I, just factored in. Oh yeah. So, There's gonna be coffee. Well, the first thing I think of whenever I shoot that final arrow that day is like, I'm getting an energy drink from the closest gas station I come to after this. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I keep it to a minimum um, and try to eat easy digestible foods. Yeah, well, uh, give me an example. Like oatmeal, oatmeal, fruit, something like that for Got breakfast. I don't it. want like steak and eggs, you yeah, know, just yeah. because literally you can see your, when your body's working that hard to digest food, you can see your pin move and your heartbeat. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, man, it wasn't till I never got it from archery. It wasn't till I got into, uh, free diving, spear fishing mm -hmm. and free diving. Um, like a, my friend, Greg Fonts, he's like, if something's wrong with you, this is where you find out. Right. Mm -hmm. And noticing the effects of, because you're just trying to do breath holds and oh, yeah. you become conscious of your heart, noticing the effects of what you've eaten, mm -hmm. what you drank, dehydration, stress. Um, I never applied, and I should, I never applied that type of thinking to uh, marksmanship. Right, yeah. Being, like shooting my rifle, shooting mm -hmm. my bow. That's where the where first time I'll, I'll be like laying on the surface ready for a dive, and I'll, once I close my eyes, I'm like, "You're not ready to go. You're not ready." Like I, you know, I I can like hear my heart beating in my mm -hmm. ear, yeah, which you shouldn't, right? You know, and I'll be like, "Okay, chill." But I never, um, you know, I would never think to be sitting in the tree stand and be like, "All right, uh, you better tone it down," right? Yeah, you Suppress know, that. <laughs> like you better like just take yeah. a second, tone it down. Mm -hmm. You know, let's yeah, check in. Let's check in a little bit on what we're doing. Definitely. Know? And there's a lot of things you can do to slow your heart rate. Uh -huh. You know, I've learned all that shooting in the World Cup because I've never been under that much pressure, like shooting for the U.S. and England and against other countries and stuff like that. It was like this immense pressure. And for I was like just total redneck that went over there because everybody was like, you should go shoot in the World Cup. And then I was like, oh, I guess, you know, so I flew to England and Pretty soon, I was the last standing American, and I was like, "Oh my God, my whole country's counting on me!" Yeah. You know? Lee Greenwood yelling <laughs> here, and I'm proud. just rolled through all my buddies, and now it's me and some guy from the Netherlands, and they're like blowing air horns in my ear, and I'm like, "Geez, this is wild over here." So, when you see a buck coming, okay, mm -hmm. let's say like a buck you really been after, yeah, and he's coming, and he's still way out, but he's coming, mm -hmm. he's lined out. Do you, um, are you conscious about what? Like, do, are you practicing the same mental discipline? Like, this is going to happen, right? Right. So are you going like, okay, I'm going to yeah. get in my headspace? Are you just in the hunting game and you're not playing like a tournament I'm not shot? nearly as good in that moment as I am at a tournament. Okay. Just because in a tournament, I know exactly what's going to take place yep. for, for the most part. Like, I got 20 targets to shoot. And then once I'm in the finals, I can make a plan. Like, this is my strategy. The target's not going to whiff you. No. I mean, hunting, you might hunt for two weeks, and you get lulled to sleep, and all of a sudden, boom, there he is. He's coming. And so you don't have that. I mean, ideally, you stay sharp, and if he comes on this trail, like, that's what I try to do. If he comes from here, this will be my plan. If he comes from here, mm -hmm. this is what I'm going to do. But, I mean, you get caught off guard all the time. And so it's, for me, it's just focusing, again, on 
what I want to happen, how I want to execute, and not focusing on all the negative that that yep. could go wrong. But hunting, I my my heart rate, everything is so elevated from tournaments. It's just I love it, and I like you work so hard for that opportunity, and you don't know it's coming. When uh, because you're a walking rangefinder, do you uh, <laughs> what do you what are you doing with deer? Oh, I range everything. Yeah, you know, I, that thing's in my hand constantly. Got it. So yeah. when you get up in the tree, you start ranging trees and range. Yeah. And, and, and even then do, when do you coming. visualize all your shot? Like, are you like, okay, I can picture shooting through that gap. Mm-hmm. I can pick, are you doing all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, if he comes on that trail, I hit that limb and that over, like everything. I'm trying to pick it apart when I get in a tree. Yeah. But even then, like it could be this way. It could be yeah. that way. Yeah. But like used to, I'd range a tree. Like that one's forty. That one's fifty-one. So if he's between it, I'll kind of try to gauge it. But I learned myself and like you black out a lot in okay. those moments, right? Yep. And it's right there. And then you're like, wait, was what was that tree? Yep. You know, yep. so now I'm I'm constantly got my rangefinder. And so like I wanna click it if and then like when I, until he breaks under thirty, then I'll mm. put it up, you know. How how do you hang your rangefinder? I've got uh you know, the chest binos and then the rangefinder holder. So you right pouch here. it. Yeah, yeah pouch. Um and so like if he's walking broadside I'm going to click him, click him, click him because I want and I need that exact, for me to aim that small uh-huh. and focus that small in my head, I need to know exactly how far he is, right? Yeah. If you're like, he's 40, between 40 and 46, it's very hard to aim an inch up in him. Yeah. You're, like, you're kind of pretending, right? You're, you're aiming, but it doesn't. aiming, you know? Exactly, so for yeah, me, exactly. I, mentally, I need to know like he's 42.3. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to. But are you shooting set pins then when you're hunting? You no, know, I got 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. And then it's on a mover, and I use my bottom pin as the mover. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so a lot of your shots, you're just shooting off pins. Yeah. And are you are you gapping. splitting gaps? Or gapping. You, yeah. You do. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just a practice thing. And and um. Oh, let, explain gapping real quick for people that are listening. So like if you if he's uh, fifty four yards, and you got a fifty and a sixty, you're splitting that where an imaginary fifty four yard pin yep. will be. So you put your fifty high, your sixty low, and try to gap that where exactly where it needs to be um and that's a art and that takes a lot of practice it's just it's another thing to think about man it is it is so that's like one thing that you got to be really in tune with your stuff um i was trying to get my kid a shot at a deer this year at his bow this is his first year you know and uh and i was just like i got him where okay we're not gonna shoot more than 20 you know and if you get a shot, like just that's the that's the thing, yeah. you know. And I feel like I was limiting him. I was just trying to simplify it. Yeah. Right. I was trying to simplify it. I'm like, it doesn't matter if we if I say go, that's yeah. the green thing. Put it there. <laughs> that's yeah. the one. Yeah. Don't worry about all this other. Because he likes to shoot the league, and I'm like, I just want you to put a lot of that out of your head. Yeah. Let's just try to practice on close shot, good shot. You know. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. I, yeah. That's the same way I'm doing with mine. I we we practice out the thirty, and I've got him like putting him in situations. But I already told him. I said if it's over twenty. It's a no go. Yeah, we sat down and yeah. I and I showed him. You know, I was showing him like that, that tree. If it's coming down that trail, that tree, not before that tree, but yeah. that tree is time. <laughs> yeah. And it's the green bear, whatever the, the hell color fan. pin. You know, <laughs> I, just keep it simple. I grew up with a compound. Yeah, a real cheap one. Started hunting with traditional bows. Um, it's like so difficult. Mm-hmm. Recently, I had a. I was given a compound and got it all set up holy cow mm-hmm. <laughs> oh holy cow yeah, you the mean did, they work, did they work real good <laughs> you know especially having like it 
little definitely little different mechanics, but having like good good mechanics and understanding back tension and things like that, grabbing a compound and then being able to wrap, relax a little bit at mm -hmm. full draw was a big thing for me because I was wanting to like rip it apart, rip it apart. Mm -hmm. But like after that, like. I was just like, you've got to be kidding oh, they me. They work amazing well. I have a longbow, dude, and and I haven't ruled out that someday I'm gonna like I put in a PVC tube with a cap on it and put it deliberately like in like mental storage. <laughs> <laughs> and I've so many times almost taken some of that stuff and put it on the free table here at work. Oh wait, no, because someday you might return to it. But right now I just don't have the time, discipline, or dedication to do it. Mm -hmm. But yeah. someday I'm like, I could picture someday in my old man era picking that out and being like, all right, man, now we're going to do it. I've been asked that a lot. Like, when are you going to, isn't it too easy? I'm like, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, do, I respect people that do that because I'm like, I would be scared to death to take a longbow out. I do you mean, shoot one for fun? I have. I'm not very good. To be, so, to, not, be, not good. No. to be honest with you, I've done it a long time. And the more I do it, the more scared I get. Yeah, with it, mm. which sucks. But I've just seen a lot happen. Oh yeah, did I tell that one a tournament with my longbow? No, <laughs> but in my age class, it was only me and one other kid. Gotcha. Well, <laughs> wins a win. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it was just like my brother. He was the best in his in his uh, sixth grade class. Really? Yeah, yeah. I beat this one boy. He's one the time only with one. My longbow. Only one in his class. <laughs> They're fun to shoot. Yes. I, I just, man. And there's a time and place. Yeah. Like. So what would happen to you if you went and, uh, what would happen to you if you knowing what you knew went and shot uh, like Olympic style? Gosh, I don't know. Do you ever know. mess with it? No, never. Um, some of my good friends, Brady Ellison, um, probably the best American Olympic shooter there, there ever was. Uh -huh. um, I've hunted with him. He's a great guy, but I'd have no idea where to start. Is that right? Just shoot so a recurve? Different. Yeah, just a recurve with pins and fingers and clickers, and I just, I got, I got nothing. So you don't it. mess with it? No, but he's unbelievable. Like, he shoots as good as a lot of the compound professionals with his recurve. Yeah. Is he a hunter? Yeah. What's he hunt with? Uh, he hunts with a compound. Does he? Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. And he can shoot with a compound, like, very well. Oh. Yeah. But he has to shoot, like, 40% let off because he's so used to that. Oh, the the wall, the tension it? just building. At is the that end. right? Yeah. So yeah. whenever it like breaks over, it freaks him out. He can't so. jump from the one to the other, huh? Yeah. It, I mean, maybe now. The last time I shot with him is when I shot that bow, that compound. I couldn't let it down. Yeah. You had that much tension built. Yeah. Yeah. It was like he's like, let it down. I'm like, you know, like, <laughs> like. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like suspenseful. Yeah. Have you ever had a, um, do you ever get jumpy from like gear malfunctions? Uh, no. Like you have, a, you have like the string junk, the cam or like a problem with the release or whatever. Then all of a sudden it's like some kind of like demon enters your head. I have with mostly with uh release malfunction yeah. stuff. Um, that's really big because it just takes you so much out of your shot process. And then every time you're drawing the bow back for like the next hundred draws, you're thinking about it. Yeah. I've had, I've had that where I've had, I've been rattled by, and a lot of self-inflicted. Like I had a bow one time, uh, I flew with it, mm -hmm. um, in a hard case, but I didn't even think to check it out. Yeah. And, um, I had no idea, but I don't know what, so someone jumped up and down on it mm -hmm. and drove a plane over it. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Just bent the hell out of the top, the upper cam. Yeah. 
pulled it back. Flop! Oh, yeah. Came, and then, dude, it's just, then you're like, well, I'll be living with that for a long time. Cause I'm like, it's just so hard to, like, it is something hard. in the back of your head doesn't trust the bow. Yeah. And then you got to shoot through that, you yeah. know? And that stuff is, that derails you, man. Oh. Yeah. I've been very lucky in tournaments to not, or hunting, uh, to not have too much of that stuff going. I, I did at a major event one time have a release miss malfunction and sent one down through the woods on the second target of the final day. And <laughs> that was tough to recover from. Was so, it? Yeah. Almost won the tournament, but it was, it was just a tough mental, obstacle like did that that arrow cost you oh yeah it cost me everything. you don't get a mulligan no <laughs> no you move on and i would the, the funny thing was i was shooting with a so at the time i was in a peer group the top peer group with the pro staff coordinator for that release company uh-huh. <laughs> and when it shot oh. i couldn't even yell at the release or do anything i just had to shove it down in my pouch and get a new one and go to the next one so yeah yeah that's good it's really the only time that that's happened to me cost me big time anyway you got any uh you got any tournament shooters coming up next generation oh yeah Do ton you? of them ton of them keeping those young guys beat down is the hardest part it's putting doubts in their mind and messing with them <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what, I was, what i was referring to it might be the same answer i was referring to your kids oh no i i don't think so no. my my kid he literally looked me right in the eye and said, "I'm never going to shoot tournaments." So <laughs> like, okay, that's as clear as I need it, you know. But he likes he likes to be outdoors. Just oh, isn't yeah. drawn to the isn't drawn he's to the competitive fishing. He's he's the most competitive. My oldest is the most competitive human being. It's like I'm trying to work with him because it's like if like I beat him. There's some videos that I should post of him at like five where I was like beat him at air hockey and he would lose his mind and I'd make him shake my hand and tell me good job. <laughs> And he did not want to do it. Like, oh, really? yeah, he was like, I was like, you're going to shake my hand. Look me in the eyes, you know, that kind of stuff. But he's a baseball kid right now. Got it. Loves it. And he loves to bass fish. So, bass fish? Yeah. Yeah. Loves it. So he'll get up at 4 a.m. every day to go bass fish. So, well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right now, all right, what age are your kids? I got 11. One's about to turn six. Then I've got 18 month old little girl and then a four-month-old little boy oh so so wow time yeah, i don't know with my yeah, young my, my, my six-year-old is just wild um he says he wants to hunt but he won't practice he's just that kid yeah man, that well that's kid. six man yeah, it's, it's, it's like, hard it's hard to picture what yeah. you're practicing for a little it's so bit, funny you know? how different they they are but he's he's my comedian for sure that's good yeah well, uh, tell people how to find you, how to check out your stuff, how to find you on social media, whatever. Yeah, I am uh, on Instagram, mostly bowlife underscore Levi. Um, we have a show on the outdoor channel, bowlife. Um, and then we're doing a lot of stuff on YouTube now, on Levi Morgan YouTube and thelevimorgan.com. Uh, and that's pretty much all the places I will be. And you're going to shoot tournaments next year? That's the plan. I haven't quit yet. No, not yet. Not yet. I'm going to, I still don't feel finished quite yet. How many, like, at what point, uh, at what year mark are you undecided? You know what I'm saying? Five? 40 years. I, you know, I wanted to be done by 40. Okay. Just because the age of my kids will be, and I've just been gone a lot, and I just want to be there with my kids. Yeah. During that span, because I shoot like 17 major events a year. So mm. it's a lot. And this last trip that I left was just gets harder every time, you know, my 11 year old bawling his eyes out. And, mm it was just tough. Yeah, so, I've been through that stuff, man. Yeah. It's hard. It takes it's a toll tough. on you, man. Yeah. And I sat in the driveway crying myself for like an hour, like, what am I doing? So <laughs> I don't know how much longer. Really? Yeah. You know, I love the competitiveness of it, but at some point, it's like, how many do you need to win? And before, you know, I just want to, I don't want to be that dad that's yeah. gone. 
being gone is tough, man. Even if you have, like, we run a, like a tight program at my mm-hmm. house. And so I, like, when I'm gone, I'm not worried. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not worried about what's going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's a tight show. Yeah. Like, very controlled program. Mm-hmm. But it's just nice to be home. It is nice. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's nice. Yeah. I'm just starting to get a taste of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you're guy. worried. I'm not like worried. It's just like, I want, like, I just want to be. Yeah, exactly. Face part of the mix. The you want to be part of the mix, man. Yeah. yeah. yeah you have, how old Jesse is Jesse got a brand new one. Uh, he's going to be a year, October 19th. Mm-hmm. He looks, he's a tiny little bugger. Yeah. He's actually here in the office right now. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I got to make things work. You know? just, awesome. I just left him in my office. Put a dog in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember like when, when Lana was a baby, I was like, this isn't too bad. It's, it hurt. But when they start, crying when you leave that's the that's the hardest where he like, doesn't quite he yeah doesn't you're almost there no, that's yeah sad. let's not end on a sad note <laughs> yeah no, for sure for sure i do get to go home today so that's that's a good note uh well nick thanks for coming on man my pleasure thank yeah, you yeah i appreciate you coming on talking about the movie wild tale and levi thanks for coming on yeah thanks for having me all right i'm gonna hit you up about that live show I, i'll be there all right all right shooting Let's check on the shooting part. I'll take a ticket. It's been a while. It's Pittsburgh. Anything goes. We're good. Yeah, I, I, we got a guy. We got a tour manager. I'm going to ask him, like, what would happen if someone shot a boat? Um, we'll figure it out. Now you'll just have to talk. Or your poetry will all be written in arrows. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> That's fine. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, everybody. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to decked.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping.